I'm Emily, and this is From Hustle to Hell Yes, the podcast where I share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship for small business owners craving a GPS. Hop in and let's joyride to a sustainable, profitable business without burning out, getting stuck, or stalling out. Destination, more revenue, less hustle. everyone and welcome back to From Hustle to Hell Yes or if you're new here, welcome. I'm your host Emily Carter of Change Agent Studio and I've been wanting to talk a bit more about the four relationships and I think one way to do that is to dedicate an episode to each one um, and even a facet of each one because they actually all contain multitudes. So today we're going to talk about the first of the four relationships or the four ships as I like to call them. The first of the four ships is relationship to self. This is how we view ourselves and how we relate to our own way of being in the world. This ship carries our mindset, our self-trust, how we're resourced, self-care, our perception of who we are, our authenticity and comfort or discomfort with visibility, our boundaries, core values, and our capacity. That's a lot to cover in a single episode, so instead I'm going to focus on one very specific issue that can pop up in our relationship to self, particularly as we relate to ourselves in our work. Because it's come up a few times in recent weeks, I'm going to focus today on imposter syndrome, but not in a way you've likely heard it talked about before. And here's how I think it makes the most sense to tackle this. First, let's talk about what is imposter syndrome actually. And then second, we're going to talk about the nervous system as it relates to this particular phenomenon. And third, what the heck to do with that information. So let's start at the beginning. What's imposter syndrome really? Because this is a phrase that gets thrown around a whole lot. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page about what imposter syndrome is, what it looks like, um, basically the definition of imposter syndrome. So first of all, imposter syndrome is not a recognized physical or psychological disorder. That is to say, you won't find it in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It contains descriptions, symptoms, and other criteria for diagnosing mental health issues. That's what the DSM is. It's also not in the ICD, the International Classification of Diseases, which is kind of like the DSM, but for physical health issues instead of mental health issues. Imposter syndrome is not a medical condition, although it is described as a phenomenon, an experience, that occurs in an individual and is the subject of a number of scientific studies. I personally really like the clarification that author Claire Yosa gives. Claire says, imposter syndrome isn't just self-doubt in a spiky suit. It's the gap between who you see yourself being and who you think you need to be to succeed and lead. It's not really about self-doubt or lack of confidence at the root. And experiencing imposter syndrome doesn't mean you're not up to snuff. Claire's research points out that the, there's a difference between 
self-doubt, which is more of a mindset confidence issue, and imposter syndrome, which is more of an identity problem. Self-doubt is about what you can do, and imposter syndrome is about who you think you are. And I highly recommend getting your hands on Claire's study. So if you want to dig deeper into these differences, I'll link to that in the show notes. From Claire's study and studies other researchers as far back as the 1970s, you know, it's estimated around 70% of people will experience imposter syndrome at least once in their life. As it turns out, being wildly successful won't actually keep you from experiencing imposter syndrome either. Renowned author Maya Angelou, award-winning actor Tom Hanks, and Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor have all been candid about their experiences of imposter syndrome. And I just want to be clear that while this is a common experience, it's not a clinical issue in and of itself, but it does often appear alongside anxiety and depression, which are clinical issues. So I also want to say that nothing in this episode of From Hustle to Hell Yes is meant to be taken as medical advice. Please seek the advice of a medical professional if mental health is a contributing factor for you. You can contact the NAMI helpline, one 800 9506264 or info at nami.org. Nami can offer you sympathy and support and provide you information about resources in your community or you can use the crisis text line. Just text hello to 741741. Okay, so even though imposter syndrome isn't recognized as a clinical issue, it can still be a really devastating experience. Imposter syndrome shows up in a few ways. It might manifest as feelings of being unworthy or feeling like you don't deserve the success that you've had. It could show up as questioning your own abilities, um, feeling like a fraud. Those feelings can lead to constantly seeking external validation, like getting more education and training or constantly seeking certification of skills uh, rather than being rooted in curiosity or ongoing education for the sake of staying sharp and up to date. This obsession with more education and finding more information is actually rooted in beliefs that you aren't good enough at what you do, that you as a human being simply aren't good enough. So again, it's less about capability and more about identity. So beyond being a real head trip and potentially expensive, depending on the cost of your certification programs and other ways that you try to mitigate this feeling, It can also lead to analysis paralysis, which is the inability to make a decision due to overthinking a problem, or worse, straight up freezing, being immobilized, unable to take action. Your mind goes blank. You say, I don't know a lot. You just kind of freeze up when it's time to make a decision or to actually do something. And maybe that means that you say yes to things that you really want to say no to, or perhaps this leads to bouts of perfectionism. It's not hard to see why this might happen to business owners and entrepreneurs, constantly trying new things, new strategies that push us outside our comfort zone, the vulnerability and visibility, and how fear-inducing it can be to put ourselves and our work out there for the world to see. And I know it's happened to me and it's happened to clients I've worked with time and again as well. What's stress-inducing about this situation is that as a business owner, and especially for solopreneurs and businesses of one, a lot of what happens in your business flows from you. And if you're struggling with imposter syndrome, it stops up that flow. So no matter what flavor the imposter syndrome, whether it's questioning one's own credibility and authority or feelings of not enoughness, it's rooted 
in ways, in some ways, in your physical body and how you respond to different kinds of stress. Those manifestations of imposter syndrome that I just covered, they relate directly to our nervous system's responses of fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Now, before we get into how imposter syndrome is rooted in the body through the nervous system, I need to clarify some things about how the nervous system operates so that you can understand the relationship between imposter syndrome and your body's reactions to stress. Now, I'm going to simplify and leave out a lot of deeper details for the sake of clarity and being very focused on the particular experience of imposter syndrome. So first, imposter syndrome is an emotional response. And while emotions really involve just about the entire nervous system in one way or another, for the sake of simplicity today, I'm going to focus on the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. These are parts of the autonomic nervous system, which is part of the limbic system, which is made up of specific parts of the brain all working together. Okay, that's a lot. So if you're curious about that and really want to know more, I've linked to a really awesome website that breaks it down with diagrams. It makes it really easy to understand. So if you're a visual person, this might really help clarify the hierarchy of how we talk about these systems. But that's all the deeper that I really want to go into the hierarchy. The limbic system has a great deal to do with emotions. And within that system is the autonomic nervous system, which consists of sympathetic and parasympathetic circuits. Those two circuits of the nervous system, the sympathetic and parasympathetic, are where we're focused today. Okay, so that's a lot, I know. The only thing that's important for you to know, if this information is a little overwhelming, um, is that there are two well-defined nervous system circuits that play a role in regulating emotions, social connection, and fear responses. The sympathetic circuit, which is for mobilization and responsible for the activation of the fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. And the parasympathetic circuit, which is responsible for supporting health, growth, and restoration. So you might have heard this spoken about as activating the rest and digest response. And it contributes to feelings of safeness. It supports social engagement. This system is responsible for helping us navigate relationships to other people. It may also play a small role in the fawn response as well. So I've been studying somatic embodiment, which is a method for using the physical body to soothe the nervous system, specifically with the fight, flight, freeze, fawn response that can be triggered even in situations that aren't actually dangerous to us. Not everything that our body responds to with fight, flight, freeze, fawn is in fact dangerous, but evolution has favored a quick trigger. Better safe than sorry, I guess. And P.S., I'm not at all discounting any experience of, of trauma that may lead to heightened nervous system responses. So just let me validate that now. But and also, the response isn't always necessary. And in a lot of cases, it's actually doing us more harm than good. Like in the case of imposter syndrome, Embodiment is just a way for us to use the unique sensations of our body as a tool to develop awareness, to stay present, to self-regulate that nervous system, to feel connected, and to empower ourselves to find more ease, enjoyment, and effectiveness. 
What does any of that have to do with imposter syndrome? Well, first of all, if we aren't actual imposters, then imposter syndrome is a story, a story we are telling ourselves about ourselves and the experiences we have. That's why I say it's a misalignment of our relationship to self. Our experience of an event is created by having a feeling and then a story that we assign to why that feeling occurred in us. How we feel in the moment is something, uh, the moment something is unfolding, you know, how we're feeling in that moment affects our experience of it, our interpretation and memory of what occurred. If we're already feeling self-doubt, then we might actually interpret this as uh, this experience as confirmation that we don't know enough or aren't good enough, which can lead us to a deeper crisis of imposter syndrome, which is questioning who we really are at our core. And P.S., this is how a lot of miscommunications begin. Someone's nervous system gets hijacked by something else. And when they interact with another person, they're not responding to that person based on the current moment. They're actually still reacting to something else. It's too much to get into the details of that particular scenario today. But I know that there's a future episode about communication in the works, and this will definitely be in there. So back to imposter syndrome. Our perception of who we are is based on those stories that we've created about those experiences, about those feelings. So in case, in the cases of stories, we are telling ourselves that cause feelings of anxiety or fear, like the things we tell ourselves when, when we're in the depths of imposter syndrome, things like, I don't think I can do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a fraud. Those thoughts can trigger our sympathetic nervous system, our fight, flight, freeze, fawn response, because we are sensing a threat to our relationships. In the case of imposter syndrome, how others perceive us and our expertise, and we feel understandably threatened by that. We perceive or predict judgment, criticism, rejection, and our survival response kicks in. Our heart rate goes up. And our survival strategy is to give up our authenticity, our true identity, in order to maintain those relationships. This also comes into play with people-pleasing. Okay, but we're talking about imposter syndrome. So when our fight response is triggered by imposter syndrome, it can lead to perfectionism, being fixated on imperfections, trying to control situations, working longer and harder, and being really consumed with a need to be flawless. When our flight response is triggered by imposter syndrome, it can lead to procrastination, delaying or postponing working on something, even though we know there will be negative impacts for stalling out. When our freeze response is triggered by imposter syndrome, it can lead to analysis paralysis, overanalyzing and overthinking a situation that halts forward motion or decision-making. When our fawn response is triggered by imposter syndrome, it can lead to people-pleasing, neglecting our own needs out of fear of disappointing someone else. 
Each of these responses is linked to the sympathetic nervous system, which means working with techniques that first address this stress response makes it possible to more quickly and effectively deal with the imposter syndrome before it becomes more embedded in our experience, right? And harder uh, to root out. So what are, what are those techniques? I'm going to talk about one very specific technique that can help you feel more empowered to prevent imposter syndrome and to help you get it under control when you're experiencing the beginning stages. 10 years ago, Amy Cuddy gave an incredible TED Talk, which I will link to in the show notes. And in her talk, Amy shared her research on how body language, our posture, can impact how we feel about ourselves. Amy's research focused on power poses, also called postural feedback, and how it can create feelings of optimism, creativity, authenticity, the ability to self-regulate and even improve your performance in some cases, lending more credibility to what I'm being talked about somatic embodiment. So how we hold our bodies, how we move, uh, how we move them and use them impacts how we feel and how we think. So here's how to do an expansive posture. You're going to just stand up straight or sit very tall in your seat with your feet apart, your hands on your hips, your chin pointed up and puffing out your chest. Hold this pose for two minutes. That's it. As you're doing this this pose, you can maybe recall praise that you've been given, call to mind experiences where you felt empowered. Doing this exercise has been shown to have a measurable effect in how you feel and on how you approach your next challenge. There's another reason that I'm talking about posture. Since lockdowns in 2020, our bodies have been really pushed into some strange postures, literally and figuratively. Basically, We're spending more and more time at home and less time outside, less time in big open spaces, inside or out, less time letting our bodies stretch and take up space. We're spending more time bent over our computers or our phones. And you may have heard of pandemic posture. It's actually wreaking havoc on the way that we hold ourselves, which I believe is having a humongous impact on how we feel from the inside out. A lot of what we experience in life starts with a feeling. And we make stories about where that feeling is coming from. In the case of a negative feeling like imposter syndrome or anxiety where our sympathetic nervous system is getting triggered, we can't do that until we reel that sympathetic nervous system back in. It's like one of those like trick snake jars. You know, the ones where like the jar is disguised like a can of peanuts and you open up and this like colorful snake, which is actually just like a spring pops out and scares the bejeepers out of you. We have to be able to put the dang lid back on. So that's why I'm talking about Amy Cuddy's 2012 TED Talk about posture, postural feedback. It's awesome for helping us become more aware of how we're holding ourselves and has an actual measurable impact on how we feel about ourselves. And all of that has a lot to do with the foundations of our relationship to self. One of the four ships that I like to talk about, that those four ships are constantly operating in our life, in the background, mostly. And they're impacting everything that we do, including everything in our business. And that's why I like to call attention to them. So that's all for today. 
Thank you for listening, and there's more in the show notes if you need it. Over and out. Running a business is hard freaking work, but there are some things we can do to make it simpler and easier on ourselves. One of those things is by leaning into core values. For me, something really magical happened when I started relying on those core values in my business and really weaving them into how I did stuff. Suddenly, I was experiencing more peace of mind every night when I closed up my laptop. I was creating higher quality content to share. I was making decisions more quickly and confidently and showing up with more authenticity for every part of my business. And I started delivering a consistent and repeatable client experience. And that's when my business really started to feel like a hell yes instead of a hustle harder. So if you're wanting to make things a little simpler in your business as you're growing it, If you've ever felt overwhelmed by which courses and mentors to follow, what tools to use in your business, how to create balance in your life, or which marketing tactics to implement, leveraging your core values at these important crossroads in your business can help you make the decision that's right for you and help you sleep better at night. That's why I made the Core Values course. And right now, if you go to changeagent.studio slash core dash values dash offer, You can get my core values process for identifying, defining, and weaving them into your business for more ease, enjoyment, and effectiveness. So head to the show notes or hit up my website at www.changeagent.studio slash core dash values dash offer and get yourself on track to using those core values and leveraging them to make your business life a little simpler. Hey, before you go, thank you so much for listening today. If you liked this episode, please share it, leave a review wherever you listen, and hit that subscribe button so we can keep the conversation going. If you want to dive even deeper into today's episode, just go to www.changeagent.studio slash podcast and look for this episode's show notes.